So there's these questions that we all ask, big questions that have a huge impact on our lives. But there's all this information out there that makes finding the answers, well, difficult. So we came up with a way to give you the answers to those questions. We did a survey at Easter and compiled a list of your top asked questions. That list then became a roadmap for this sermon series. Each week, we'll examine a single question and discover God's clear answers based on His Word. We call this series, Ask Away. Come on, happy Sunday, Go Church. How you feel today? Feel good? Come on. You look great. What a great room today. What an honor it is to have everybody. For those of you in this room, you're at our South Metro Atlantic campus. Come on, make some noise if you're just thankful. Anybody thankful? Honored to have you. Genuinely means so much. What a tremendous joy it is to be together. And then I want to welcome our other campuses, our online campus family, literally reaching thousands of people and devices all around the world. We welcome you to our online campus experience and gathering. And then a great big hello to our Germantown, Maryland campus family, 700 miles from here in the greater Washington, D.C. area. So God bless all of you. Okay, everybody in the room, welcome the online campus. Welcome the Germantown campus. Come on. Let them hear you from the south. Come on, let's do that. And then before we jump into the message, we have a weekly tradition where we pause to give honor to the incredibly brave military men and women and all of those courageous first responders. So of all of the applause for appreciation, can we give the highest applause to those who are serving, putting their life on the line to serve and protect ours? Come on, wholeheartedly right here. Come on, five more seconds. Come on, show some love. It's good. And then let me ask, come on, where are all the ladies of Go Church at? Come on, ladies, make some noise, ladies. Love that. A couple of, uh, couple of weeks ago, ladies, you had your annual You Go Girl conference. Come on, are you still just kind of in the, the overflow of all of that? It was such a tremendous weekend. But I got great news for the fellas. Come on, men, make some noise. Where are you at, boys? Come on now. Got to do a real low voice. Like, yeah, here we are. You're not left out of this, fellas, because in a couple of weeks, we've got our Man Up conference, first ever Man Up conference that's happening on Friday night, June 11th, and then through lunch on Sunday, or Saturday, rather, June the 12th. Uh, this is an invitation to all of the men of Go Church. You got to sign up ASAP. Spots are limited. It's RSVP only. And already we've only had registration open a couple of days, and we've got people from other states that are coming to be a part of. I know we've got a crew from South Carolina coming. I know we'll have some people from Maryland coming. So make sure, guys, that you sign up uh, through the website or the app. And then, ladies, uh, I know that maybe, maybe your fellow would say he doesn't want to come, but once he's here, He's going to have a blast. It's going to be life-changing. So this would actually be a really great Father's Day gift. Uh, Father's Day is the weekend after Man Up Conference. So this is a great investment into, uh, in, into that man in your life. And we'd love to pack the house with all the fellas. And th this, is, this, is an, uh, this is a manly event. Come on. We're going to throw some axes. Can I get a witness? I don't know who we're going to throw them at. We're going to throw some axes. We're going we're to have some man food. There ain't no vegan stuff here today, boys. Come on. Uh, my, my pastor, the bishop, Alan Matur, is going to be preaching. Come on. I'm going to be there. It's going to be great. Got a couple of guest speakers, and this is going to be a great couple of days. And I'd love for you guys to come and be a part. So make sure you stop by the website or the app. Get signed up today for the Man Up Conference because, again, space is limited. All right, I want to pray for you. We're going to jump into the message. I'm going to pray for two things this morning. Obviously, I want to pray for uh, the word uh, that we'll share together in just a moment. I believe you came for a word. I believe God has a word for you. But I also want to pray for the nation of Israel. Uh, for those of you that have been watching over the last uh, few days, and, and I mean, you could go back to 1948, uh, 73 years ago, when Israel gained her independence 
uh, they have been under constant attack. And I want to tell you something. You need to hear this, okay? What you're seeing happening to the people of Israel, to Jerusalem, is far more biblical than it is political. It's biblical more than political. And in your Bible, the Bible instructs us in Psalm 122, verse 6, that we ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And those who do that, those who love Jerusalem, will prosper. So I want to pray for the people of Jerusalem. Hamas has launched over 2,000 rockets towards Israel over the last few days. Over 5 million people in that nation are in harm's way. And we don't want to see uh, an additional war or a war, world war. We want peace. And so I'm going to pray peace for the people of Israel and peace over the resolution of that conflict. And then I'm going to pray for peace in your home and in your heart. Because some of you may came in this room today or you're watching online and you feel like you're in a war. So I just want to pray for peace. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for peace. Peace. Wonderful peace. Coming down from the Father above. Sweep over us today, Jesus, with that peace. Touch the people of Israel and Jerusalem and provide peace in that land and in that nation. I pray Psalm 91, the hand of God, the protection of God over those people. May they abide under the shadow of the Almighty. May you place angels to encamp themselves to fight a spiritual battle that we can't see with our own eyes. There's a war we can see in the natural, but there's a spiritual war that's happening that we can't see. It's in the supernatural. But I pray in the name of Jesus that we would be covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And for those who are in their own type of war, I pray for peace for them as well. Peace in their mind and in their heart. Give them joy even in the middle of the storm. I pray for a great anointing on my life today. Lord, my desire is not to stand up here and speak to impress, but rather it's to speak to impact. So I pray now as I submit my words and my life to you, Jesus, that you would take this message that you've put in my heart that I've prayed over and fasted over and prepared over and that you would use it, God, to touch the hearts of your people, that the Holy Spirit would speak through JC and that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. May this word, your word, not return void but may it penetrate to the hearts of those who are willing to listen. I speak against distraction of all kind. The enemy would love to steal these next 35 or 40 minutes, but we give them to you as God moments, holy moments. And we ask that the Spirit would speak to us. Come on, pray that for five seconds here, 10 seconds. Speak to my heart, Lord. Speak to my life. Speak over my situation. Speak over my family. Speak over my finances. Speak over my marriage. Whatever it is, Jesus, that we've carried in here, we'll lay that at the foot of the cross. And I pray that when we are dismissed, we'll leave forever changed by the power of a living God. Can you give Jesus a good praise and a big amen? Come on, let's put our hands together. Come on, from the front of the room to the back, turn it down online. Let's give Jesus the high praise. All right, we're in week one of a series we do called Ask Away. This is an annual series. It is the most anticipated series that we do at Go Church. And the primary reason of that is because you all drive the content. So every single Easter, we provide an Easter, Easter annual survey. Uh, you submit questions and uh, just different things that you're processing and curious about and wanting a response to. And, and this year, this past Easter, just a few weeks ago, hundreds and hundreds of questions and themes were submitted. So over the next few weeks, what we're going to try our best to do is tackle as many of these questions as we can, as many of the themes as we can. And hopefully each week and each Sunday, We'll provide a little bit more context and spiritual clarity 
around some of these submitted questions and uh, hopefully we'll give you a, a biblical answer and a godly answer. So let me encourage you, whether you're in the room or online, take some notes. If you got your smartphone, you can open up your note application. Just maybe turn it on. You know, do not disturb so you're not distracted by social media or the text message about where you're going to eat lunch or dinner. Uh, if you want to take physical notes in every seat back pocket near you or in front of you, there's a message note card. Message note card. That's for you, so you can take that and start taking some notes. We're going to start with the first question uh, that was uh, submitted to us to look at today, and the thought is this: How do I face my fears? Come on, let's ask this question aloud on three. You ready? One, two, three. How do I face my fears? Every single one of us, at some point, we find ourselves afraid of something. So, at some season in our life, and some moment in our life. We find ourselves with the emotion of, of fear and worry and anxiety. As a matter of fact, there are millions and millions and millions of fears all around the world. When you look at a clinical diagnosis or a medical diagnosis of fears or phobias, in the United States alone, over 19 million people have a diagnosed phobia, a fear. Let's look at some of these. Some of these you're familiar with. Some of these you may learn for the first time. There is acrophobia. By a show of hands, how many of you are afraid of heights? Come on, be honest. Some of you are like, I don't want to raise my hand too high because I'm afraid of heights. Come on. <laughs> that was funny, right? Okay, acrophobia. There is, here's one, arachnophobia. Spiders, come on, anybody afraid of spiders? Now, I, I've got like, I don't love spiders. Like, I'm not like afraid of the spider. Like, I am the designated, you know, shoe man in the house. Like, I'm going to kill the spider when it's like the girls are just running everywhere. And one time I ran, but still, you know, that thing was massive. <laughs> Um, I, we went to Trinidad one time. That's family's, uh, Kimberly's family's, you know, home area, island there. You ain't seen a spider until you see a, a Trinidad spider. Come on. Um, but I, I, more than spiders, it's snakes for me. Come on, I don't want nothing to do with a snake. And everybody's like, they'll post on, like, the community Facebook group. What kind of snake is this? It's always a dead snake if it's in my yard. Where are you at? Come on, let me see your hand. Snakeophobia, that's me. Uh, here's one. This is what I'm doing today, which is public speaking, glossophobia. A lot of people have a fear of public speaking. Where are you at? Okay. Um, sir, come up here real quick. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> How about this one? Uh, trypanophobia. Anybody heard of this? Trypanophobia. The fear of needles. Come on. Anybody afraid of needles? Some of you are like, this is why I'm not getting that vaccine. I will drink it, but you will not stab me with a needle. <laughs> there is a trypanophobia. And then uh, I think I got a couple more here. Oh, yeah. Here's one. And let's, just, let's talk about this for a minute. This is kind of extreme on both ends of the spectrum. So it's podophobia, and it's the fear of feet. Okay, it's the fear of feet. And let's just let's talk about this for a moment. First of all, you don't have to be afraid of feet. Now, you don't have to love feet, but you don't have to be afraid of feet. I mean, what's going to tow you to death? Like, there's no reason to be afraid of a foot. But on the other side, why you got to have a foot fetish? Just be normal. Like, I don't want you to be afraid of a foot, but at the same time, why do you got to go kissing a toe? Just come on, look at somebody near you and say, just be normal. That's the best message. Y'all have a great Sunday. I hope you learned something today. Just be normal. Talking about normal, here's one, and I Googled this because I wanted to talk about this. This is aerostatiophobia. And uh, we saw many people overcoming this fear in the last week. Aer aer aerostatiophobia is the fear of gas stations. <laughs> and a lot of people are like, I'm no longer afraid of the gas station. And they just... Y'all are wild. This should never have to be said, but I'm going to say it. You don't put gas in a trash bag. Can I get a witness? Anybody want to help me out? You know, they make containers for all that. And if y'all would just calm down, 
Just calm down. We got all these fears, but only five do we all have in common. We got five fears that we all have in common. Millions and millions of fears. Five of them we all experience. The fear of extinction. At some point, uh, we have this uncertainty about, you know, life after life. Or what happens after we die. Where are we going to go? We think about life being 80, 90, 100 plus years perhaps, but that fails in comparison to the thought of eternity, the reality of forever. And so there are people that they are paralyzed by the fear of death. There's the fear of mutilation. This is the fear of, of losing a, a limb, a body part, if you will. This is, this is why people are afraid of spiders and snakes, because in their mind, in their subconsciousness, they are afraid that, or in their psyche, that if they get bit, then the remedy is going to be amputation. And so people fear mutilation. There's the loss of autonomy. This is the fear of being immobilized or paralyzed or confined in spaces. There's the fear of separation. This could be the fear of rejection. It's why some of you don't want to pursue marriage in that relationship you've been in for a while because you fear rejection or abandonment. And some of you have that experience because a parent walked out on you or a loved one abandoned you. So that's why a lot of people struggle with separation anxiety. Does that make sense? And then there's the fear of ego death. And this is the fear of uh, being humiliated, public embarrassment, uh, being shamed. I mean, I, I've been out of school forever. I mean, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I'm a grown man. Come on, and I can still go back to middle school when I was in front of my class giving a presentation and somebody thought it would be funny to come up and pants me in front of the whole class. And that was forever ago, but I still talk to my counselor and therapist about that moment. Come on. Because we all have this fear of this ego death. We don't want to be humiliated. And I hope you're taking notes. Let me give you some thoughts here as we unpack this idea of facing our fears. All of, all of these fears, the, the spirit of fear does not come from God. The spirit of fear comes from the enemy, the devil. It's a spiritual uh, weight or emotion that the enemy uses as a tactic to paralyze you. As far as I know, there is only one fear that comes from God, and it is a holy reverent fear of his almighty sovereignty and power. And that fear is needed. The holy, reverent fear of God is what draws us to our knees in prayer. It's what brings conviction and accountability and a desire to do better and to be better. But the spirit of fear that grips us from the fear of death to the fear of being shamed comes from the enemy. Your Bible talks about this. If, if you go to the New Testament, 2 Timothy, uh, the first chapter, Paul writes about this. He says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. On the count of three, both locations online as well. Let's read this together aloud. One, two, three. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, again, I have my own fears. There are things that I, I'm certainly, uh, you know, continuing to, to work through. Uh, I, like, I like watching, you know, like, shoot 'em up kind of movies on, 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 on Netflix. Like I like the war movies and the high intense movies and the high action movies. Come on, somebody just wave at me if that's you. Like, you know, I watch Hallmark because I want a good marriage. Come on, somebody. But like at the end of the day, somebody must die, you know? 
if Liam Neeson is in it, I'm all in. You know, I've always said, make Liam Neeson the Secretary of Defense, ain't nobody gonna mess with America, you know? Um, but after those movies, my, my like anxiety is on high alert. Like I am hypersensitive to every sound. You know, that's why I like, and, and don't, you don't have to raise your hand because I don't want you to have the fear of ego depth, but that's why some of you, before you use the bathroom, like you look behind the shower curtain. You know ain't nobody there, but you're going to look anyway, aren't you, you know? And like every sound is, is, is elevated, you know, and so Kimberly's always like, you need to calm down or you need to pray. But um, I'm watching this not only, you know, kind of work its way through my life, but my little girl London, who is six, is constantly expressing these fears that she has. So almost every night, I've got to look in the closet to make sure there's nobody in the closet. I've got to look under the bed to make sure nobody's under the bed. One time her brother hid under the bed. That wasn't good for London. <laughs> Even like yesterday, though, in the South Metro Atlanta area, what a beautiful day we had weather-wise. So we decided to get lunch, to bring it to the house, to eat outside, and London refused to eat because she was terrified at the possibility of getting stung by a bee. Now, here's, here's the part of the story that you need to know. We were out there an hour. We never saw one bee. We saw a lot of flies, but there wasn't one bee. Now, I was talking to London, but in that moment, it made me think of many of you who wrestle with the spirit of fear. I told her, I said, London, if you're not careful, you will allow fear to rob this moment from you, a moment that we can't get back, a moment of being outside and enjoying the the, you know, the relationship of one another and the weather. And I said, I bought Chick-fil-A. Come on, it's God's chicken, London. Like, you're going to lose this moment. I said, you're, you're afraid of something that's not even a reality. Okay, who am I talking to now? And then I asked London this question, and Kimberly chimed in. We said, London, how old are you? I'm six. Okay, London, in six years of life, how many times have you been stung by a bumblebee? None. And how often do we do that? We allow the fear of something that has never even happened to paralyze us and cease us from the opportunity to enjoy the moment, to enjoy the experience, to enjoy the opportunity. That spirit of fear does not come from God. It's what the enemy uses to paralyze you from moving forward and enjoying all of the blessings of God. Can I get like 100 people that that just makes sense to now, the question was, how do I face my fears? Let me give you, let me give you a, a, a thought here to consider. Don't focus so much on facing your fears. Focus on feeding your faith. Focus on your faith. Faith over fear. Faith over fear. Come on, say that on three. One, two, three. Faith over fear. Feed your faith. Don't worry about facing your fears. If you're afraid of heights, I think it's just crazy to go jump out of an airplane. Like if you're afraid of snakes, don't handle snakes. Ain't nobody got time for that. Don't worry about facing your fears. Be intentional, though, about feeding your faith because my faith allows me to override that fear that the enemy is trying to attach to me. Oh, that is so good. I hope you put that on my space today. Come on, somebody. Faith over fear. Here's what your Bible says. Watch this. Isn't it, isn't it, always, isn't it always something when the Word of God will just kind of slap you into this reality of something you're dealing with? Here's what scripture says. Don't be anxious about what? Now, I don't want to take, you know, Paul's words to the church of Philippi out of context here, but I think you can replace 
anxious, anxiety with, don't be so stressed. Don't be so afraid. Don't be so worried. You know, we get our English word worry from the German word vergen, which means to choke. It means to strangle. And isn't that what the enemy wants to do? The enemy wants to create the spirit of fear to choke the life right out of you, to strangle joy right out of you. Y'all going to help me today? Come on. To strangle the, the moment away from you. Don't, don't be worried. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious about anything. Can I ask you a question? And I'd love a response. It's not rhetorical. But is God not in control? Come on, he's in control. God is in control. Yesterday, today, and forever. So don't be so worried and anxious. But in every situation, by what? Come on, by prayer, by petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And this is my prayer for you. It's verse number seven. This is my prayer for you. And may the peace of God, we prayed for this a moment ago. May the peace of God sweep over you. And I don't know what your fear is. I don't know what you're dealing with. But I pray that today you feel this overwhelming peace, this assurance of hope to know that God has never failed you. God has never let you down. God has never made a mistake. Now, you've got to operate in wisdom. Come on. You've got to operate, you know, in, in, in just wise decision-making. But God is faithful, and I pray that the peace of God which transcends all of our understanding. There's a lot of things going on in this world and in my life I don't understand, but when you have peace, you don't have to understand all of it. It transcends all the understanding, and here's what happens. Then your heart is guarded and your minds are guarded. Is this not the place that the enemy loves to attack? Right here between the ears. Can I teach for a minute? When Jesus died on the cross, he died at a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Where is your mind located? And your skull. So over 2,000 years ago, Jesus defeated Satan at the very place he knew that the enemy would try to attack you today. Come on. There's freedom there. The Bible says whom the Son set free is free indeed. So don't worry about facing your fears. Just feed your faith. You've heard me teach this before, but let me give you three ways to feed your faith. And then I'll add a fourth one. Pray over panic. Pray over panic. Worship over worry. I can't tell you how many times that I've had this like worried spirit try to just attack me, and I've just turned on some worship music. I'm just even even when I didn't want to worship, I made the decision to worship. Even when I didn't feel like praying, I I I had rather prayed than have the panic attack. So I just begin to pray and worship. Scripture over stress. That's just opening up God's word. There is power in the word. And listen to me, when you don't know what to pray, just pray the Bible. Come on now. Just pray through the scriptures. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Greater is he on the inside of me than he that's in the world. He's going to work all things together for my good. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you hope and to give you future. You stand on the word of God. I can't tell you how many times, literally, figuratively, and spiritually, I've taken my Bible. Get this on the camera. I've taken my Bible. I've put it down, and I have stood on the word. I'm standing on the promises of God. I refuse to allow fear to rob my joy. I refuse to allow fear to rob my hope. Now, God is sovereign. The old school church said it like this. God is good and all the time. So why are you so worried? Why are you so afraid? Wash your hands. Please. 
hand sanitized. Somebody give me a witness. Listen, if, at, if 14 months into this global pandemic, you still aren't washing your hands, you got problems. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Be wise, be smart, have conviction. But whatever the fear is, don't let the fear override your faith. When the global pandemic hit uh, just over 14 months ago, the whole world stopped and we were quarantined. In some areas of the globe, uh, they still find themselves in quarantine and, and somewhat of an isolated state. But here in the state of Georgia and Maryland, uh, those restrictions looked a little different. But in those first couple of weeks, you know, we had the... Uh, 15 days to slow the spread, and now I guess that's turned into 15 months, but we'll figure it out. And we were confined to our home, and there was a lot of fear, a lot of fear. And, and, and some of that concern to be wise is, is justified, but I remember taking out my journal in, in that season, and I wrote this declaration. And I shared this with you in March of 2020, uh, a, a week or two after the pandemic hit, and I, I want to revisit it again. Uh, they'll expand this large on the strings for you to see, but... I journaled this in my note because I wanted to make sure that even through times of uncertainty, things that I had no control over, that I, choose, that I made the decision to choose faith over fear. And here's what I wrote, and I believe that the Lord gave it to me. You can take a photo of it because it'll take too long for you to write down, but it says, I am a believer. And can I tell you, that's a game changer, church. I am a believer. I am in Christ. I hold fast to the confession of faith. I walk by faith. I live out my faith. I trust God by faith. My faith can move mountains. This works because Jesus, somebody say Jesus, is the author and perfecter of my faith. Even on the days when my faith is low, he is always faithful. Come on. My faith is the bridge that allows me to cross over all of my fears. At the end of the day, my faith will win because I know that my father will win. Come on. And because of my faith... Others will become followers of Christ. All right, let's do this together. Come on, let's read it on three. Out loud, make it a declaration. Ready? One, two, three. I am a believer. I am in Christ. I hold fast to the confession of faith. I walk by faith. I live out my faith. And I trust God by faith. My faith can move mountains. This works because Jesus is the author and perfecter of my faith. Even on the days when my faith is low, he is always faithful. Come on, I love that. My faith is the bridge that allows me to cross over all of my fears. At the end of the day, my faith will win because I know that my father will win. And because of my faith, others will become followers of Christ Jesus. Come on and give them some praise. Come on. Come on, somebody just has an act of faith. Come on, lift up your voice. Come on, put your hands together. Faith over Fear. Don't worry about facing your fears. Just feed your faith. I told you I'd give you a fourth one on those three thoughts. The other one is if you need somebody to talk to, talk to somebody. Don't try to hold in all of those fears on your own. See a counselor, a therapist, a pastor. We got a full-time counseling program here at Go Church called Life Back. We're available to walk you through the fears that you're facing. The Bible doesn't say that God wants you to live in fear and in bondage. The Bible says, whom the Son set free is free indeed. Come on, one more time. Let's give Jesus some thanks. Come on. Okay. We got time for another question that was submitted? Okay, where are you going to go? Come on now. Um, let's, let's switch gears here for a moment. This, this question was submitted in a few different 
ways, but there is a theme around the idea of talking about or teaching about the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual disciplines. So can you explain the spiritual disciplines? Now, immediately, when I look at this uh, phrase or term spiritual disciplines, my mind goes to discipline, and we talk about discipline being connected to correction, uh, to reproof, uh, to alignment. Come on, I grew up, I grew up in that kind of house. Uh, my mama didn't even have to whip me someday. She just gave me that look. Come on, how many of you know that look, you know? She could get that one eyebrow to touch her forehead. It was a miracle. And I knew, and then my dad would say, wait till we get home. And I never prayed so hard in my life that my daddy would forget. But sure enough, as soon as we got home, he remembered every, he couldn't remember what my mom sent him to the grocery store for, but he could remember, wait till we get home. So when we think of discipline, we think about correction, and we think about reproof, and we think about alignment. But how does that look in the context of spiritual disciplines? Now, when I read the Bible, I don't see this exact phrase, spiritual discipline, laid out, but it is a constant theme in the Gospels. This need to come into alignment as a follower of Jesus Christ. That there is a way, there is an expectation, there is a pattern of behavior that for those who are in Christ Jesus should uh, exemplify and follow. We're in the world, but we ain't of it. Pardon the grammar. Come on. So we must have the spiritual disciplines to allow us the opportunity to pursue the standard of right living, which is holiness. And no matter how heavy the cancel culture comes at us, holiness will always be the standard. People won't like that preaching. People won't, some won't accept that type of teaching. But holiness is the standard. And you don't have to accept that for me, but one day every one of us will stand before God. And he will look at, did we hit the mark of holiness being the standard? And the only way that we'll ever be able to come into alignment with that standard is to discipline ourselves in the spirit. Does that make sense? Let's go back to Paul's writings to Timothy. Here's what he says in 1 Timothy 4. Have nothing to do with godless myths. Don't worry about all those old wives' tales. Rather what? Somebody shout train. Train yourself to be godly. Verse number 8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life that is to come. I'm not going to show you a Greek word to try to impress you. It's impossible to impress you with my limited intellect. But in verse number 7, this word train right here, and in verse number 8, the idea of physical training. And remember, the New Testament was written in Greek, so that Greek word is the word gymnazo. It's where we get our English word gymnastics from. So Paul is placing an emphasis on this physical training, this physical discipline. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He doesn't say just focus on your physical health, which is important. We should all eat a little better. Somebody say amen, even if you don't want to. Come on, we should all work out a little bit. We should all exercise. You know, we should all try to run. Somebody told me the other day, they're like, I'm, I'm trying to get in shape. I was like, man, that's great. They're like, yeah, and the shape is round. Come on now. <laughs> They didn't really say that, but that was funny. <laughs> but he says more importantly than the physical discipline and the physical training, he says you've got to focus on the discipline of godliness, on becoming more like God. I mean, the very definition of Christian is to be Christ-like. And that, that discipline in the spirit holds promises for today, the life you live, and for forever.
Let's look at the difference of physical training and spiritual training or spiritual discipline. When you work out, you know this, come on. It requires discipline. you got to exercise. It takes sacrifice. Uh, you'll build up strength. You'll start to gain endurance. Uh, some of you know this. When you first start on that physical training, it feels like, you know, two, three minutes in, you're going to die. And then two or three weeks later, and it's like three and a half minutes in, you feel like you're going to die. Come on. But you're building up that endurance. It's what happens when you physically train. I hope somebody's listening to me. We, we, need, we need to focus on our physical health. But we need to be more focused on spiritual discipline and spiritual training. Because this is about soul strength. This is about tackling temptations. This is about denying our impulses. And I've, I've taught you this before, so this is nothing new, but every day you're in a battle. You're in a war. Your flesh and the desires of your flesh versus the spirit and the desire of the spirit. So when you are in spiritual training, when you are in spiritual disciplines and the practice, now you're able to deny impulses. You can conquer weaknesses. You can, I love this, Romans 12 too, you can renew your mind, which is a huge, huge next step in finding freedom. And uh, I've referenced this book repeatedly since God's given me the honor to be your pastor, but it's one of my favorite books of all time. It's by Richard Foster called The Celebration of Disciplines. Uh, it didn't look like anybody was writing that down, but you need to write that down because I want you to order it. You can get on an Audible. Uh, you can order it on Amazon, or I'll just come over and read it to you. But some way you're going to read that book. I'm telling you, Celebration of Disciplines. Now, what's unique about the book is the title, because the title is an oxymoron. Who celebrates discipline? But there is so much on the other side of the spiritual disciplines that you can celebrate because of the growth that happens in you and through you. And again, uh, we use this book in all different types of formats. Some of our small groups have used Celebration of Disciplines as curriculum. On the first Saturday of every single month at both of our physical campuses, we have First Saturday Prayer. At First Saturday Prayer, we come together for about an hour of corporate worship and uh, corporate prayer, and we do a devotion. That devotion in this year is based off some of the disciplines found in Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. And I could quote the whole book to you, and it would change your life. But here's just one, one section of his writing that talks about disciplines. It's a little lengthy. So again, versus trying to write it all down, just snap a photo. Watch this. He says, a farmer is helpless to grow grain. All the farmer can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of the grain. He cultivates the ground. He plants the seed. He waters the plants. And then the natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the grain. This is the way it is with the spiritual disciplines. They are a way of sowing to the spirit. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. God wants to do something in your life. God wants you to come into alignment with his plan and his purpose. God wants you to grow and to mature and to overcome every challenge and fear and stronghold and bondage. A number of the questions that were submitted in the Ask Away surveys was around generational curses and, and you know, uh, strongholds and bondage. We'll, we'll talk about all of that throughout this series perhaps. But God wants you to break free of all of those things. And the only way that you can do that is to step into an intentional spiritual discipline workout plan. I, I say this a lot in leadership and in life. 
whatever it is in your life that you want to get better, you will never chance your way into getting better. You can only change your way into getting better. So you'll never chance yourself into being more like Christ. You can only change your way. Does that make sense? So let me show you some of the disciplines here that Richard Foster talks about and that we see all throughout the Bible. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. A Foster lists 12 or 13 disciplines. Your Bible has multiple disciplines that are a call to action for us to practice. But we learn about the discipline of prayer. Richard Foster says that the discipline of prayer is the most important spiritual discipline that you can learn and cultivate. MC Hammer said, you got to pray just to make it today. Come on, somebody. You got to learn how to pray. Not just pray when you need something. Guilty. Not just pray when you want something. Guilty. But the Bible says to pray without ceasing. What about the discipline of fasting? Now, intermittent fasting is a major uh, diet trend right now. But, and there are some spiritual components to intermittent fasting. But what about the discipline of fasting? to deny yourself of something that your flesh desires to spend intentional quality time with God. So it's sacrifice. It's giving up something you love for something you love even more. It's study. It's scripture. It's opening up the Bible. Don't ever, don't ever take for granted the fact that at the palm of your hands is the greatest resource to mankind. God's love letter to you. There are people and tribes and villages and countries all around the globe that would give anything for the opportunity to hold a Bible. And you and I, we have access to it, but if you don't open it, if you don't read it, then it's nothing more than something that sits on the bookshelf collecting dust. There is power in the Word of God. Come on. He calls us to the spiritual disciplines of prayer, fasting, Bible study, solitude. Solitude is not loneliness. It's not emptiness. Solitude is a withdrawal away from the noise. Life is busy. Life is crazy. So the discipline of solitude is carving out quiet time in a quiet place to speak to God, but more importantly, to allow God to speak to you. Simplicity. We don't know much about that life here in America. We got way more than we need. Uh, the discipline of service. We say this a lot at Go Church. We believe saved people serve people. There's not a higher level of joy than when you are putting the needs of someone else above your own. The discipline of confession. I think some faith groups do this better than others. The Catholics do the spiritual discipline of confession really well. But your Bible says that confess your sins to God and he is both faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. James says confess your sins one to another and you might be healed. So there's power in the discipline of confession. And then, of course, the discipline of worship. Worship is not just a few songs that we sing on a Sunday. Worship is a lifestyle. John says to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. I know this, this part is like, okay, disciplines. You know, can we get back to something a little bit more fun or entertaining? But this is the most powerful teaching that I can give you today. Because if you can discipline yourself to grow in the spirit, man, God will begin to open up so many doors of opportunity as you come into alignment with your assignment, that purpose, and that call. And this is a perfect segue to the last question we'll look at today. And that is, how do you know the will of God when you make a decision? How do I know I'm in God's will? How do I know that I'm in the plan of God? Let me say something to you. Listen to me for a moment. We're almost done. Five minutes, and I'll be off the stage, okay? 
If you are faithful to the practice of the spiritual disciplines, I find it incredibly hard to get out of the will of God. So if you commit your life to a life of prayer and fasting and scripture study and solitude and simplicity and service, confession, worship, a meditation, generosity, all, all of those things, it's hard to get out of the will of God. But when you stop disciplining yourself in the spirit, now all of a sudden you become less like Christ and you become more selfish and greedy and you have this selfish ambition and you're pursuing things that the world says are important that really aren't. I think about Mother Teresa, one of her greatest lines. Uh, she was interviewed after starting a hospice home in Calcutta, India. And in the interview, they said, what does it feel like to be successful? And Mother Teresa said, God never called me to be successful. He just called me to be faithful. When you're faithful to the spiritual disciplines, when you're faithful to God, it's hard to get out of the will of God. But when you're greedy and you're selfish and you make this life all about you, you can start to go down a path that God doesn't desire for you to go. Does that make sense? And we talk a lot about the big rocks of decision-making. And there are the big rocks. I mean, should I go to school? And if so, which one? Should I take the job, quit the job? Should I marry that person? Should I end the relationship? Should we buy the house? Should we sell the house? Those are big life decisions. But Proverbs, Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, he said it's not just the big things. He says it's the small foxes that can spoil the whole vineyard. And every decision you make has the potential to bring out positive change or negative impact. So let me say this to you. We've got just a couple minutes, and I promise you we'll be finished. But watch this. No one, nobody wants you in God's perfect will than God himself. Nobody wants you in God's perfect plan any more than God. God made you on purpose and for purpose. So stop thinking of God with this idea that he's off in the corner of heaven holding your will for your life in his hands. I'll never reveal the plan I have. What? The, what? No, God wants you to discipline yourself, get in a position to hear his voice, I feel this. Stop trying to make good decisions and start making God decisions. Come on. And, and Jesus gives us the greatest example. Jesus is moments away from his arrest in the garden. And then he will go on trial and inevitably be crucified on the cross. Moments away from dying for your sin and for mine because he was a man who knew no sin. Yet he bore the weight of our sin on his shoulders so that all who would believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. And on his way to the cross, Jesus had this moment, this thought, and he said, okay, Dad, if there is an escape clause, now would be a good time to show it. If there's a way out of this, if there's any other way but the cross, let me know now. But then he says what? He says, nevertheless, not my will but your will be done. Let's read this highlighted verse on three. You ready? One, two, three. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Do it again. One, two, three. Nevertheless, not my will. Do you pray that? Do you ask that? Do you desire that? God, not my way, your way. Not my will, your will. 
Now, if you, if you want to step into that perfect will of God, we could do a whole series on this, but a lot of questions in a limited amount of time. Let me give you a filter here. Three things that will help you to know the will of God. Three things to know God's will. The first one is this. God's plan will never contradict God's word. I, I, I said that better than you responded, but I hope you heard it. Whatever it is in front of you, that door of decision, that door of opportunity, uh, fill in the blank, the relationship, the job, the next step, the next move, whatever it is, will never contradict the word of God. He is not a man that he should lie. All of his promises are yes and amen. God cannot contradict himself. So God is never going to call you to do something that goes against his instruction on how you should live a godly life. So if you want to know, is this the will of God, then ask, does it line up with the word of God? God's will for your life always lines up with God's word for your life. Can you give me a good amen? All right, here's the second one. God's will always provides confirmation. Now, I've got to admit to you, earlier this morning, after I had already made these slides and submitted them, it was too late to do an edit. The Holy Spirit just grabbed my attention and said, don't talk in absolutes when it comes to me. I said God will always provide confirmation. I would rather say God usually provides confirmation. Sometimes there can be a theophany, this revelation of God in a moment where you hear the auditory voice of God, thus saith the Lord. That is his confirmation. Can I get a witness? But in most opportunities, most uh, doorways of decision, God will provide confirmation. He'll provide confirmation through his word as you study scripture. He'll provide confirmation through a messenger like a pastor or a Bible teacher. That's why so many times people will say, you were preaching to me today. What does that mean? It means I called your family and asked, what do you want me to say about them? That's exactly what that No, it means that God is confirming something that he's already been dealing with you about. And he's just confirming it through the man or woman of God. Here's another way God confirms his will through people that love you, that believe in you, that care for you. So let me talk to a young lady for a moment. Maybe you're dating this guy, and I could give you a hundred examples. It's interesting that everybody close to you says he's not right for you, and he's not the one. Can I tell you that is most likely the will of God to end that relationship? It's not because your parents hate you, and they don't want what's best for you, and you know they don't know what's best for you. It's more than that. It's because they see your future and your potential, and they, they want you to wait for your knight in shining armor instead of settling for a loser wrapped up in tinfoil. So confirmation, that was good. My space is loaded with stuff today. So God can confirm his will through people that love you. And then thirdly is this. God's will rarely, if ever, includes you being comfortable. Thank you, Jesus. God, let me say this. I don't think God cares about your comfort, but he does care about your calling. I don't think God cares too much about your comfort, but he does care about your character. And in my lifetime, let me talk about me for a second, and then I'll pray. God 
rarely has ever called us to do anything that was comfortable because if he calls me to something that's comfortable, then I can accomplish that task on my own strength and on my own merit and on my own ability. But when he calls me to places that are uncomfortable, then I can't depend on me. I have to depend on him. I can't lean on me. I have to lean on him. I can't trust in me. I have to trust in him. And so he calls us to take that first step of obedience. Listen to me. Faith leads to obedience. Obedience leads to abundance. And I tell people all the time, the only part that we play in whatever success, quote unquote, that we have in our life is our first step of yes. Yes. When Peter wanted to walk on water, he said to Jesus in the middle of the night, if it's really you, tell me to come. Jesus confirmed by one word. He said, come. And then Simon Peter stepped out of the boat and began to walk on water. So whatever is in front of you, as you try to decide, is this the will of God? Is it easy? Is it comfortable? Can you accomplish it on your own? Because if you can, that might be good and not God. What God wants to do is he wants to open up doors of impossibility so that you walk by faith and not by sight. Can I get somebody to help me out real quick? That you step out and you trust and obey. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Let me give you a closing question. So through this whole week one of Ask Away, what's something that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about? We talked about a lot today. So here, here's what I'm going to ask of you. I'm going to give you about a minute here, and we're going to transition to our campus pastors. I don't want you to leave. As a matter of fact, I don't want you to move. I want you to take this next minute. Uh, the worship teams at both campuses are going to come. They're going to sing a chorus. And here's why. Moving can be very distractive for the people around you. But more than that, when you walk out of the auditorium, you're going to go back into the craziness of the world. And this is a moment. This is a God moment where things are just kind of, right? And you can listen and you can lean in to what the Spirit would say. So every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, Holy Spirit. Reveal to the hearts of your people what the Spirit would say through this message today whether it's about facing a fear or feeding their faith, or learning more about the disciplines that you're calling us to do or discovering God's plan and will for our life. Speak to us today in the name of Jesus.